It's September 4th, and I'm uh, now recording my recording on the Human Condition website. This is part two, and you can find it on their website, I discovered. But I'm just going to record this now uh, for anyone who may be cramped for time and just want to listen. Biologist Jeremy Griffith. part four of the interview. I'm Craig Conway and I'm here with Jeremy Griffith, the biologist who has just explained how humans acquired our moral instincts. This is an absolutely remarkable interview. So continuing on, Jeremy, uh, what about my third question for this final part four of the interview, which is, um, how does the psychological rehabilitation of the human race that this understanding gives us actually take place? Now, do we all need to go into therapy or something? Well, what is real and actually very obvious, instinct versus intellect explanation of the human condition fundamentally does, is lift the burden of guilt from the human race. It establishes that we humans are good and not bad after all. Uh, while we're all uh, inevitably, variously angry, eccentric and alienated from our, our different encounters with humanity's heroic battle to find knowledge, ultimately self-knowledge, understanding of our corrupted condition, we can now know that every human is fundamentally good. And this ability to understand and know there was a good reason why the human race became psychologically upset is the key relieving understanding we have been in search of ever since we became conscious some two million years ago and our corrupted condition emerged. I mean, that, that is the key relief for our mind, being finally able to understand that we are good and not bad is what bring up, brings us the greatest psychological relief of all. I mean, yeah, the, the, the psychoanalyst Carl Jung uh, was forever saying wholeness for humans depends on the ability to own our own shadow. And since we can now own the shadow of our species' two million years corrupted condition, the human race is finally in a position to become whole. I mean, the word psychosis literally means soul illness, and psychiatry literally means soul healing, derived as they are from psyche, meaning soul, and osis, um, meaning abnormal state, and iatreo, which, which uh, means healing. But we've never been able to heal our soul. Explain to our original instinctive self or soul that we, the, uh, us fully conscious thinking uh, humans, are good and not bad, and by so doing, reconcile and heal our split selves. But now at last we can. Now there is an adage that says the truth will set you free. So what you're saying then, Jeremy, is that the truth of our fundamental goodness is the truth that we needed to set us free from the human condition. Precisely. And while that is the main relief our mind needed, obviously the more we digest that relieving understanding, the more healing relief comes to every aspect of our upset condition. And to have had to endure being unjustly condemned as bad for two million years does mean that there's a great deal of upset to heal. I mean, to appreciate how much upset exists in us humans now, imagine living for just one day with the injustice of being condemned as bad, even evil, when you intuitively knew that 
the politically correct movement and all the other idealistic movements were actually all false starts to a human condition free world because the upsetting battle to find knowledge, ultimately self-knowledge, the psychologically relieving understanding of why we're good and not bad still had to be completed. In, in fact, while dogmatically insisting that everyone should be cooperative and loving could make you feel that, that you were doing good and be superficially, psychologically very relieving, such insistence on ideal behaviour denied people the freedom they needed to be able to continue the all-important upsetting search for knowledge. I mean, these movements were pseudo-idealistic movements that, that stifled and oppressed the search for the understanding of our corrupted condition that was actually needed to, to free us from that state. They were regressive, not progressive, as they deluded themselves they were. It was actually the right wing who have supported the upsetting battle to find knowledge that held the moral high ground, not the pseudo-idealistic left wing. Mm. The culture of the left made people superficially feel good, but it was dangerously dishonest. It was fake. It was bullshit. Being concerned for others and the world is very important, but doing that to make yourself feel good is a dangerously selfish sickness. Indeed, uh, it's the most destructive of all drug addictions, and it's been taking over the world. As I explain in my free book, Death by Dogma, dogma is not the cure, it's the poison. Yeah. Um, so you, you can see here that the true instinct versus intellect explanation of the human condition finally enables us to explain and expose what's wrong with the left. And it's not a moment too soon because the culture, its culture is rapidly taking a species to death by dogma extinction. Yeah. Now, most wonderfully of all, the, the instinct versus intellect explanation of the human condition not only exposes the culture of the left for the, for the human race destroying lie that it is, it also, as I said, brings to an end the whole upsetting search for the rehabilitating understanding of why we're good and not bad. And what this means is that it's no longer oppressive of that upsetting search to take up support of cooperative and loving idealism because that search is over. In fact, taking up support of cooperative and loving idealism is now the only way of living that's justified. I mean, suddenly, there's no longer any reason for the right wing in politics, and everyone effectively becomes left wing. In, in fact, the whole business of politics basically ends with the finding of understanding of the human condition. And the, and the whole human race sets out as one united organism, letting go the angry, eccentric and alienated part of ourselves and supporting cooperative and loving idealism. And I might say that uh, much more is explained about pseudo-idealism in video 14 on the World Transformation Movement's website. Yeah, I mean, ending the polarised world of politics will certainly be one of the biggest reliefs imaginable. Absolutely, Craig. It'll be a massive relief. So, so that's how the whole world suddenly, immediately changes from a psychologically embattled, angry, egocentric and alienated state to a world where everyone has decided to abandon their still to be healed, competitive and aggressive behaviour and takes up support of a cooperative and loving existence. So finding understanding of, of the human condition brings to an end the insecure, um, upset, artificial, reinforcement-dependent, angry, egocentric and alienated world. A, a new human condition resolved, cooperative, selfless and loving world now emerges.
light uh, comes streaming into the dark cave-like world of denial that we've been living in and it will all be like waking up from a nightmare basically um, with, with the ability to understand ourselves we can return to our original cooperative and loving state but this time fully conscious as uh, the poet T.S. Eliot anticipated, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Wow, Jeremy, that has been absolutely incredible, enlightening, enthralling, um, and I really can't thank you enough for sharing with us um, uh, your knowledge and uh, your insight uh, to think about the human race being transformed just in the nick of time is I think what everybody out there who has listened to this will be hoping for and uh, your book Freedom uh, again will be available on humancondition.com um, for everybody to access and to get and it's it's free on there as well so please follow this interview up listen to this interview again and again um, try your best to understand what Jeremy is saying here but get online get the information and keep studying and let's hope we can all enjoy and embrace a new change for the world for all of us Jeremy it's been wonderful to talk to you thank you for joining us and uh, we will hopefully speak to you again but better so we'll be seeing your work um, in the lives of everybody uh, across the planet and across the globe very soon uh, I've been Craig Conway this has been the interview with Jeremy Griffith says we su suggest you now watch Jeremy's astonishing great guilt talk so I will I'll click on this Sydney World Transformation Movement Centre. It's uh, Sunday the 26th of June in 2022. Um, we have some very special guests here today. Lucas Minchin, who's the second from the end, from our WTM Centre in Nice, France, who's come to spend some uh, months with us learning the trade of how to promote this precious understanding of the human condition. Also, Fabiana Hargraves de Costa at the end there, who, who's um, presently living in Norway with her five-year-old daughter, Maya, uh, but is uh, from Brazil, where, where she started a WTM centre in Rio de Janeiro. We've also got some of the stars from our Melbourne WTM centre, Ari and Desi Akratidis in the middle there, and uh, their son, Alex, and their daughter, Nicoletta. Alex is also going to stay for a little while to learn the trade. Um, one precious person uh, we're missing from our Sydney team uh, today is our patron, Tim McCartney Snape, who's presently on one of his treks in the remote Pakis, uh, peaks of Pakistan. Um, but Tim's represented by his partner, Stacey, the back there. And uh, uh, my precious brother, Simon, is also out of town at the moment. And, he, and another key uh, precious founding member, Tim Watson, is watching this meeting online. I also want to mention that Professor Harry Proson uh, is with us in spirit because the first anniversary of Harry's death at the age of 90 was last Tuesday, and I miss him heaps. Uh, of course, the other very, very, very special people are Annie beside me here. Um, 
and all, all my brothers and sisters here in the Sydney WTM Centre have been all through so much to, to bring this project to where it is today on the threshold of liftoff. Uh, now, I, I want to use this opportunity to bring as much understanding as I possibly can to the problem of our project that our project suffers most from, which is the initial difficulty people have taking or hearing discussion of the human condition, what we call the deaf effect. Um, the better everyone can understand the deaf effect, the faster our project will move forward and the faster the world will be saved from the frightening looming threat of terminal psychosis and our species extinction. And, and, and as I've explained in my books, that threat's very real. So, um, so this is about the deaf effect and how it's stalling our project and, and let's bring some, under, some really deep understanding to that issue of issues. Now, um, so after watching the interview and then this presentation on our homepage, the next talk we advise people to watch is titled, You're Blocked to the Most Wonderful of All Gifts. So the obvious first thing to be asking about this title is what is the most wonderful of all gifts? Well, um, once you understand this information, it actually finally brings relieving understanding to every aspect uh, of human life. As Tony Gowing, who's sitting next to Annie here, um, says, and this is uh, in my book Freedom, if you look at any of the problems in the world with any degree of honesty, they are each in a depressingly dark state, but with this understanding of the human condition, that darkness is completely turned around into the most glorious, happy, light-filled um, situation imaginable. In the world before this explanation, there were no answers, there was no meaning, no direction, no real understanding. Uh, um, I had, Tony said, I had no real idea what to do in the world, no framework of reference, no idea about the meaning of existence at all. But now I have complete understanding of the world. So, um, so that's an example of just how, how the wonder, this wonderful gift. There, there have been many, many comments like Tony's to the effect of being able to understand the human condition. Uh, but, but just to quote another one, this is from Sam Belfield, a tall bloke sitting up the back somewhere. Um, 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 this is a comment on our Facebook group this week about my new addendum two in my book, uh, Death by Dogma. Uh, Sam said, without these insights, I would just be lurching from denial to being utterly confused, angry, depressed, and distressed about what is happening in Western civilization. With nil awareness of the deeper implications for humanity, this handful of paragraphs is so clarifying, enlightening, and, and relieving. So yeah, the ability to explain the human condition just unlocks and the most amazing ability to, to look into every aspect of our, our lives at last. Yep, so what the most wonderful all gifts is, is the understanding of the human condition that finally brings relieving insight into every aspect of human life. As to how it's able to do this, what I'm going to, uh, going to explain about the deaf effect will, I think, make it very clear why we couldn't explain anything truthfully and thus effectively. Being able to understand the human condition is what makes all the difference when it comes to understanding ourselves and the world. So, so the question that leaves screaming out to be answered, well, uh, 
what possibly could be our block to this most wonderful of all gifts, which is the title of that first talk on our homepage after watching Harry's, uh, the, my interview with um, Craig Conway. Uh, uh, finding me able to understand everything. Well, as I briefly mentioned, the problem is that most people struggle to take in or hear discussion of the human condition. And this is obviously a very serious block because if your mind can't take in or hear what's being said, you're clearly not going to be able to discover the most wonderful of all gifts of the under healing understanding um, of every aspect of human life that the explanation of the human condition makes possible. Um, now, uh, to, to bring some illustration to that, an, an American woman, uh, shortly starting at WTM Center, experienced this uh, deaf effect when she said, I tried for months to get through the, the reading material, but my thoughts at the time was that it was, ju it was just super tedious and boring. Now, saying it is super tedious and boring is a typical deaf effect response, as I'm going to go on and hopefully make very clear. The subject of the human condition has historically been so unbearably confronting and depressing that most people's minds don't want to engage with it. And, and so to cope, their minds defensively and dismissively, in effect, says, um, I'm not interested in, in what you're talking about. It's just super tedious and boring, meaningless rubbish as far as I'm concerned. Um, significantly, when this woman persevered listening to and, and reading about this information and eventually got through the deaf effects, she, she was able to discover this most wonderful of all gifts of being able to understand the world. So much so that she said, I find it laughable now how deaf I was because here I am today obsessing over freedom essays, videos and Facebook group posts. It has brought such peace to my life and I have a burning desire to get it to whoever will listen. So, um, um, the deaf effect is incredibly real and, and, and blocking this access to this most wonderful gift of being able to understand itself. Now, Fabiano at the, at the end here on the right who's visiting us, um, I know you struggle with, it, with the deaf effect. I remember reading somewhere you saying something to the effect that if it wasn't for wanting to help your daughter, you wouldn't have persevered, persisted long enough to get through the deaf effect. Is that kind of what your experience was when you struggled with the deaf effect? Is that right? Uh, yeah, because uh, once I come across it, I was doing, having a lot of uh, personal problems in my life and I desperately wanted something to to guide me specifically in how to solve my problems. I couldn't get out of and see the macro level of all this. And especially being a mother, it's just it's a struggle that you feel that crazy love and you can't provide to them properly. You're just mad and crippled with the world. And once you understand this, it's just magical. <laughs> yeah, but when you first tried to get through it, you, you found it really difficult. Yes, because because of this, I wanted I wanted to to solve the the problems that I was feeling at that moment, like specifically, yeah. and uh, and then I I would put it back. I, I for one year I was uh, I wasn't reading anything, and uh, and suddenly when I connected, I couldn't get enough of it. I was listening and reading to you like ten hours a day, and it was just like cry of relief and happiness and joy. Yeah. So you had to 
just went for a year with not being able to get back to it and then finally did get back to it and then could get through the deaf effect and discover how useful it was. Yes. And Ari, uh, uh, up here, uh, I know your brother Sam was telling you for many years about this information and I read somewhere where you said, when I eventually read Jeremy's book, A Species in Denial, uh, not, one, not one word of it made any sense to me. Uh, as you said yesterday, that uh, as, as soon as I read that I'm competitive and aggressive and selfish, my brain turned off because I, uh, I didn't consider I was any of those things, um, let alone two million years a corrupted human. Um, but now you have got, through the death effect, you, you, you and your whole family can't get enough of this explanation. That, that sort of summary of what your death effect ex experience? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I'm still blown away at, at that death effect. Jeremy, um, a number of years later, that I'm reading the same words and sentences and paragraphs and pages that are that are as beautiful as as anything can be, and that I read that same thing, you know, a decade ago, and got zero zilch, not a single word could penetrate my denial, you know, and um, it, that blows me away. But um, it was extremely deaf, and um, you know, I. I such denial and I said to my wife a few days ago I think I mentioned to you yesterday that I can I can see now I read this paragraph and I said I would have read that and said fuck that's not me you know that's not none of those things you know I've just I'm so I've been so focused on being you know a good bloke and a good dad and a good brother and a good everything and completely in denial that there's anything wrong with me or the world and um yeah it's extraordinary Jeremy but yeah. You know, this death effect is very real, which is what I'm going to go on and try and explain and make very clear why. Um, so, the, the next question is, um, what exactly is it about the subject of the human condition that causes this initial death effect? Uh, now, the 10th video at the top of our homepage uh, that people are recommended to watch is titled, What Exactly is the Human Condition? So that should be relevant to, to what, what this problem is, being able to say, what is the human condition? But I think, uh, just thinking about that, in hindsight, what I said there is a bit too indirect. I started by saying the human condition is the riddle of why we humans are competitive and selfish, not cooperative and loving, and uh, it's an issue of good and evil in our makeup, and even this issue of why we are the way we are. But, but I think I should, I should have got straight to the point and said that the human condition is the incredible guilt and shame we humans experienced when we became conscious and started being competitive and selfish and aggressive when our instinctive self or soul expected us to behave cooperatively, selflessly and lovingly, in other words, in the opposite way. The human condition is the guilt we, and we, we feel for having corrupted our soul. That's what the human condition really is, this shame, this historic shame, okay, which is what my work's all about explaining <coughs> um, why we corrupted our soul. So I now want to explain as clearly as I possibly can this immense guilt and shame that had happened when we became conscious and able to understand cause and effect and as a result started to take over management of our lives <coughs> from our instincts, which, as I explained in my introductory video with Craig Conway and in all my books, is, a, is what caused us to become psychologically upset, competitive, selfish and aggressive.
um, when we became conscious and started to take over management of our lives from our uh, dictatorial instincts. So, to start at the beginning uh, of this horrendous saga for us humans, I wanted everyone to imagine what it was like when we first became conscious some two million years ago. How confusing and bewildering the world must have been when we woke up consciously, as it were. Um, I mean, it's hard to try to imagine, but we, we sort of woke up, we became, and we looked around, and we started trying to understand everything. You know, I mean, what was the meaning of thunder and lightning? Did it, did it represent some sort of attack on us? Why was the sun taken away at the end of each day and we were then given a pale substitute for the moon, you know, surrounded by little eyes looking at us, the stars? Why aren't animals like uh, kind to each other like we were? Um, why are crocodiles so damn nasty, etc., etc.? So these are sort of questions when we woke up. We don't sort of stop and because we've never been able to explain why we corrupted ourselves, we don't want to go near this. But we can start looking at this now, trying to imagine what it was like when we first became conscious some two million years and years ago and started thinking and watching and trying to make sense of everything around us. Um, the world was certainly a big mystery. But now that I want, now what I want to point out about that is that we could cope. And this is really interesting and very important. We could cope with that situation because we had our loving soul to look after us. Bewilderment at this early stage of being conscious wasn't a problem because we had so much room in ourselves, so much kindness and generosity and love for each other and for the world around us. We could cope with mystery and hardship. Um, bewilderment about the meaning of everything wasn't too distressing. Children, if they grow up in a natural, nurtured, loving environment, are full of excitement and wonder, not full of fear and distress. And, and, and I mean, little conscious, dawning beings can become unconscious. And when the human race was still innocent, even though conscious thinking was underway, we were like little children throughout the whole of our lives. We, we were doing lots of thinking, but we were happy living together and living with nature around us. That's what life was like during the, the early hundreds of thousands of years of the development of conscious thought. We were full of love and enthusiasm and happiness. Um, again, not being able to admit that we were once innocent because we couldn't defend why we corrupted it, denied us all this, these abilities to think about what it was like to actually become conscious and, and so forth. But now, but we were still in the arms of our soul that looked after us, if you like. This all sensitive and all loving past was just the most wonderful existence. Now, and this is all important, obviously, but this didn't last. Eventually, as the upsetting search for knowledge developed further, that situation completely changed. Imagine the absolute horror when for some reason that we had absolutely no understanding of, we started to become competitive, aggressive and selfish, behaving in a way that was completely at odds with our instinctive self, uh, self or soul that only knew about behaving cooperatively, selflessly and lovingly. Since we humans today <coughs> have learned to live in denial of our corrupting condition, it's difficult for us to connect with the guilt and shame and horror that, that we are actually living with. But the 
shame and guilt and frustration about why we became seemingly awful beings has been truly astronomical, as I'm now going to try to make very clear. So, becoming conscious led to lots of bewilderment about our world, a lightning and the sun disappearing and so forth. But none of those bewilderments were anything like as troubling as the issue of our corrupted condition. In fact, that issue was so troubling, the agony of it was beyond anything we could bear. Sure, we could come, come up with the excuse that we were just like, just being like other animals, always fighting and aggressive, uh, the savage insects excuse we've, uh, I've talked about. But initially that excuse didn't work because our soul, the voice of which is our conscience, was letting us know we should be being cooperative and loving. We hadn't blocked out its voice yet, repressed our soul and its awarenesses into our subconscious as we do now. We, we knew something had gone terribly, terribly wrong. <coughs> that, we that we were starting to behave appallingly and, and had absolutely no idea why. So that's another thing we've got to now start trying to immerse ourselves in, what it was like to start to become upset humans in total violation of our innocent soul. Um, so we're starting to feel dreadful about ourselves, full of shame and guilt, completely at odds with the wonderful, all-sensitive and all-loving world of our instinctive self or soul. In fact, we were immensely lonely beings who had, in effect, been booted out from our paradisical Eden, condemned as horrible monsters on earth. What other conclusion could we come other than to other than that we were dreadful beings? Now, um, this is uh, one of Australian cartoonist Michael Lunig's wonderful cartoons, and uh, it beautifully captures some, of, it captures some of the horror of our situation, where we were in effect thrown out of our soul's innocent Garden of Eden world, and, and how upset that made us. So, so we've got here uh, eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge, which, made, which is a metaphor for becoming conscious, and then you see the guardian angel uh, of the Garden of Eden threw us out. As you can see, these expressions are actually quite revealing. The woman is quite appalled, and, and the bloke says, buggy, you, you know. So he's starting to get defensive, and, and she's really distressed, and he's starting to think, getting even more angry. So finally he gets the chainsaw out and tears the whole place down, which is sort of what we've done. So then he sets fire to the whole joint and burns it to smithereens, which is kind of what we've done. So this is a little metaphor of... Um, um, of what happened, we you know how we were thrown out of innocence and, and felt ashamed and got, got defensive and angry. So this is an extra little row I've drawn to add it to the bottom of it, because when we find understanding, we we, we call, the, call, call the guardian angel, angel back and we, we show him this book. It says we were good and not bad, and the, angel, the guardian angel starts crying in sympathy and takes us back to the Garden of Eden. So we're on the way home again. But you can see here that it's a lovely little anecdotal story of, of our shame and, and how it's affected us, how it upset us. Yes, we have been immensely, immensely lonely, feeling that we were just garbage on earth and that everybody and everything hated us. It's hard now for us to see the situation because we are so practiced at denial. But we need to try to imagine just how lonely our situation has actually been. 
Um, biblical, the biblical prophet Isaiah described our situation truthfully when he said, Justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like men without eyes. Truth, in other words, um, understanding of our corrupted condition, is nowhere to be found. Yes, is the prophet of our time and now noble lord of literature, Bob Dylan, saying, how does it feel to be on your own with no direction home like a complete unknown? So what I'm trying to do is immerse everybody in, in a truthful rendition of the human journey of how horrible it was when we started to... We had a once an innocent, loving existence and then we corrupted that and we had no idea why on earth that was happening and the shame was astronomical so and the loneliness of our existence because it's like we had violated everything fundamental about our world and so this is a painting by William Turner called The Fisherman at Sea and it captures something of the astronomical heroism of the human race struggling for two million years uh, which is the time we've been conscious through a terrible, terrible, lonely darkness of guilt-stricken bewilderment and seeming evil badness and the feeling that leaves us that, that we are no good, utterly meaningless creatures. It, it's a very powerful picture. It's got this huge storm and darkness and, and this small boat and these people hunker down in, in, in the middle of it trying to look after each other against this overwhelming... Um, world of, 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 of condemnation. It's a very, very powerful image. Um, you can see the people in the boat huddled together. We had, uh, we, we had to be our own friends because we were no longer a friend of our, our soul and the rest of the, the world associated with it. Um, we have been very, very, very alone beings. Now, this is really interesting. I think you'll all enjoy this. This, um, this is a photo of a settlement that was uh, created some 12,000 years ago at a place called Gopalteki in, in Turkey, Anatolia in Turkey. It's the oldest permanent settlement anywhere in the world. So, so that's absolutely amazing to have found and to think about. Um, it possibly or even probably arose following the advent of agriculture, which allowed people to transition from a hunter-gatherer uh, existence to living sedentary life. Now, I want you to look at the, these are teep, these are now, now these teep pieces, some ten ten foot, which is three meters high pillars, populate every enclosure. They clearly represent people. The arms on the side of the pillar. The arms on the side of the pillar go round to hands in the next photograph. You can see the hands coming round the side here. So the arms come down, then the hands. So it's clearly a, a person. And this is the, the, their, um, their, the arms around the side go down to hands on the side. And you can see the waistband with an animal skin hanging over the loins here. So it's, they're clearly uh, people, these, these uh, teeth. T-shaped pedestals. Uh, anthropologists aren't sure how to interpret, interpret them, but I think it's clear they represent ancestors. 
and that what these Neolithic people were doing was surrounding themselves with the comforting presence, presence of their ancestors in order to counter the utter loneliness of being condemned as evil beings. And this agony of our corrupted, lonely condition could have rapidly, would have rapidly developed with the advent of agriculture and sedentary living because moving from a hunter-gatherer existence where we were surrounded by innocent nature all day long, people were now living on top of each other with great link, which greatly compounded the increase and upset in everyone. I've written about it in my books, and I quote the historian Manning Clark pointing out that the bush, i.e. wilderness, is our source of innocence. The town is where the devil prowls around. Now, this next photograph, to me, this photograph of the Bushmen of the Kalahari sitting together is very like the picture uh, of these ancestors, ancestor pillars in this big circle at uh, Teki. The Bushmen are sort of sitting uh, sitting with their backs to nature because nature was, was hating us, so, so we huddled together and just looked after each other. As I explained with this photo in the, uh, of the Bushmen in my book Freedom, nature was so condemning of us, we got even with it by hunting down and killing innocent animals. Hunting was all about killing animals for their innocence, implied criticism of us, not about getting food, which is what we've been taught, which is what women's gatherings apply. In fact, the photo was titled Telling the Hunt, telling how, quote, I smashed some innocent animal to death. Ha, ha, take that. And so, um, um, so, so this picture is so like, with them all looking inwards, it's so like that, the picture of those tea pieces. If we go back, go down to there. You see, they're all in a circle, and there's another circle over there. They're all looking inwards. Uh, all these these ancestors uh, in the middle of it, forming a circle, and they're thin, so they don't take up too much room. And um, uh, so I'm saying that surrounding ourselves with our ancestors was a result of, as a result of the incredible loneliness of our lives, when we couldn't understand why we had become seemingly evil monsters, like the fishermen heroically huddled together in their boats, riding out the terrible storms around them and in them. Anthropologists don't recognise that our species was originally innocent, so, that, so they're not able to make sense of anything. They can't begin to connect with the psychological predicament of our lives, so, so they're failure trapped. Emma's phrase, she, she, taught, she told me about, which is a really good description. Failure trapped, not, not going to make any real sense of anything. Our species' original state of innocence is such a fundamental truth that to try to make sense of it, our world, while denying it, was like trying to understand how a car works while being determined to not look under the bonnet. Uh, as Professor Harry Prose has said about my interview with Craig Conway, it is the most important interview of all time because it turns all the conventional knowledge about human existence on its head with its recognition of the original cooperative and loving innocence of our species. So yeah, every, everything starts to make sense one, once we can admit our species' original state of innocence, which we now can because we've found the good reason why we corrupted our soul. But nothing really makes sense when, when you can't admit that truth. It's just one big world of lies and bullshit, which is the astronomical dishonest world we have been living in. Astronomically dishonest. As everyone in this room has discovered, solving the human condition, explaining why we are good and not bad, opens up a whole new world of truth, which all begins by admitting our species once lived in an innocent, loving state. Um, 
No one has ever talked the way I, I am today and in my books, freely about our species' original innocence and all the insight that gives insights that gives us into the human journey. This is the first true description of us, which is why this should all be astonishingly interesting, what I'm talking about. Um, now, since this is one of the, those interesting insights, uh, I might also include this, the occurrence of so-called goddess or Venus figurines uh, that have been found in these Neolithic uh, ruins in Turkey, like th this one uh, that was found at uh, Chapel Hoyk. Uh, as I've explained in Chapter 5 of Freedom, nurturing is what created our moral soul, which means nurturing was a priority throughout our species' early development, and it was only after we became conscious and the human condition emerged that the priority shifted from being matriarchal to being patriarchal. But matriarchal didn't give, matriarchy didn't give in to, to patriarchy for a long time. As I explained in paragraph 810 of Freedom, the extremely regal stature of the very real, very well-nourished figure seated on her throne of cheetahs shows just how powerful and in control of their society women were right up to, the re to recent times because these early settlements in Turkey around 10,000 years ago were clearly still matriarchal, still uh, led by women. This, situa this situation where women were seemingly in power in the Paleolithic and Neolithic was a case of delayed ownership. It's a situation where the new pa owner, Patriarchy, wasn't able to take over because the old owner, Matriarchy, refused to relinquish power. As I explained in Freedom, women are soul-sympathetic, not ego-sympathetic. So sooner or later, ego-sympathy, support for our species' upsetting battle to find no knowledge, ultimately for understanding of herself, which was men's responsibility, had to take over. Uh, chapter 811B of Freedom uh, explains the relationship between men and women. It's very important for everyone to read and understand. Um, so I think it's very interesting that matriarchy patri patri hadn't um, taken over back then, which is not that long ago. And, and I make a comment here. And by the way, I think you can observe in this well-nourished figure that we hadn't learned that uh, there was any problem with overeating back then. It took a while uh, to learn that what's wrong with the idea that if food is enjoyable and, and, and there's plenty of it, then why, why not enjoy it? The world of upset, distressed humours was a whole new existence. Um, now, this, this is something that's also very interesting about um, these tea pieces his ancestors. I might also mention that the anthropologists don't know why the people at Gobbleteki avoided putting faces on, on the headpieces of their pillars, but I think with, under, with our ability to admit the truth of our lost state of innocence, we can work out why. To put a face on, the, on our beloved ancestors would have required depicting something of their tortured human condition afflicted. Uh, lives on their faces when we just wanted their comforting presence, not their agony. I wrote about this in Freedom in paragraph 834, how our soul couldn't and, and didn't want to draw our alienated faces. Um, this is a painting uh, 
by Francis Bacon uh, from paragraph 124 in Freedom. It gives a, a true representation of how alienated we humans actually are. So it makes sense that, that the Neolithic people didn't want to start reminding themselves of this, of how tortured in, uh, in, we really are. Um, interesting to me is how incredibly empathetic my soul is when I let it draw, especially draw happy, soulful things like I did for these people embracing each other, which was such an instant scribble when I did it. It shocked me how completely empathetic it was. Um, I think Suze was there when, when I sat down and did that quick scribble. I was. It was yeah. incredible. It took about two seconds. Yeah, I was. And then I stand back and. And because I can't draw for nuts normally, but if I just turn right into my soul, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's magic what it can produce. Look at this next drawing. Uh, the empathy in this drawing I did of a mother and infant. I mean, how good's that? That is so tender. And you can see, like, I didn't, with the arms, I just threw, just threw them in. I didn't even try very hard. But the expression on the chair, anyway. And, and, and this, is, this is another picture. This is a drawing I did of Christ. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a remarkable, empathetic drawing too because uh, I know what he was like. Uh, he, which is, he was an innocent person and, and that's what I tried to, to capture. Um, uh, I do know I, I can draw up, my soul can draw upset humans as well like I did for, the, uh, for this drawing of, of the oppressive effects of egocentric fathers on their children. Um, but I think it's clear my soul likes drawing soulful humans, not upset humans. And I think that's what's going on with these tea, tea pillars. The Neolithic people didn't want to, the upset in their ancestors showing, so they just left the pillars without faces on them. But I think the big blocks for the heads do beautifully signify that these ancestors are a very big comforting presence in their lives. The pillars are very stylistically effective, I think. They just didn't want to include reference to this, their ancestors' psychosis, so they left their faces blank. Uh, but the thinking among some anthropologists is that even though they didn't explain, uh, they couldn't explain the, the absence of faces. Uh, they, the figures were able to be identified. They reckon the, the figures were able to be identified by the carving of the person's totem. In this case, by the fox on the pillar. See, if you go to New Guinea, the, most societies, the Aboriginal, Northern Australia, they're given totems and they're not allowed to um, eat those totems or, 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 um, or hunt them. I should mention there have been a few carvings of faces found in these ancient settlements, but anthropologists think they're depictions of masks. And many ancient cultures do use masks and exorcism rituals for valving off upset. So, um, so, so anyway, so that all illustrates how lonely we humans have felt, feeling condemned and ostracized by the whole world. Now, to get back on track with what we are talking about, when we became conscious, we were certainly bewildered by the world, lightning and thunder, who, who stole the sun at the end of the day and so forth, why animals so mean. But the biggest bewilderment by a million miles was what occurred when we became conscious. Why? When, we were, when we'd been... I guess I was able to stop this. Uh, it was an ad 
but it actually linked me to his website, humancondition.com. So you all can um, access this yourself and you'll probably be able to hear it better than on this recorder. Um, I'm not going to upload it until I get some sleep. So I had to record it from another device and now I have to transfer it to my account um, and upload it. So I was taking notes on something completely different and this ad came up and I thought, wow, it's well presented. So it caught my eye, but I really wanted to finish these notes also. Um, This has to do with the ancient peoples, basically, and the United States was actually Atlantis. That's why the ocean is Atlantic Ocean. The Pacific Ocean was actually called the Atlantic Ocean also. And the map that they have, that they relied on, the maps, um, showed a flat earth. This was based on a lot of explorations. That's how they developed the map. Um, It's quite accurate as far as the shapes of the continents go. And um, one thing that was mentioned is there were three Ethiopias, three Indias, um, and the Indians that were... That, that originally lived here on this continent were one of the Indias. It's quite compelling. And um, I didn't write his name down. It's um it's hard to remember. I don't, my brain doesn't want to remember it. Um, let me see if I can find it before I lose time here. Um, oh, darn it. on the wrong device. That's what happens when you get sleepy. I hate to lose this spot, but it is what it is. Um... So... 
I'm going to close out of this. Humancondition.com. Are you ready? Okay. Um, another ad has popped up. This is Karimio Ahau. K-U-R-I-M-E-O. Last name A-H-A-U. And the title of this particular video is Greeks Knew About America forward slash Atlantis comma the three Indians Western Ethiopians comma Euphrates comma Prester John so I greatly encourage people to look at his videos and give it attention. I'm going to create notes and type them in a blog post, but the important thing is to give this attention and realize we've been on the wrong track and we need to step up to the plate and figure out how to fix things and it is a shame that so many people have chosen to be evil but we still have to fix it and that's where we're at it's accountability matters and that's the only way our society, our world is even going to survive humanity. Because we're far from being um, showing humanity um, in daily life. So this is at 57 minutes and still running so I'm going to run out of time to say anything else really so uh, just leave it at that I'm very tired but I hope that this can give some attention to the to, to the issues share the links share sh- share and discuss You know, classroom discussions would be great. Um, Participate in chats. Um, I don't take any comments on my blogs because I, this is just a hobby. So I, I can't manage it. And, um, but 
create your own blogs. I don't care. Copy, copy off my blogs, and um, and encourage this conversation. So, um, I guess that's all I can say. And I really am tired. So I hope this will help. And um, this part, second part, will be posted when I wake up. So that's it. Have a good day. Just 30 seconds left, so I hope uh, this helps spread the word. Because that's what my intention is. Not trying to uh, win a publicity contest by far. I've got too many struggles. Thank you.